All right, good morning. Uh, If you would open up your Bibles, open up your Bibles. We are in John chapter 4 today. John chapter 4, we're going to pick up at verse 27. Uh, If you're visiting, we will be picking up in our series going through the book of Matthew, Lord willing, starting next week. Uh, We took the month off in December and studied uh, the book of Ruth for Advent. I hope it was as much of a blessing to you as it was, I I know, for Andy and I. Uh, But today, uh, we are in John chapter 4. Typically, what I like to do the weekend of either right around New Year's is either look back at the previous year or look ahead at the year to come. And that's what we're going to be doing today. That's why we're in a, a, a passage that we haven't been studying necessarily. So we are at John chapter 4, and we're going to read 27 through 42. This is God's holy word. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor." Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing upon our time. Uh, Father, as we open up the pages of Scripture, uh, we ask for your divine light. We pray, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to to see what you would have us to see in your wonderful Word. Uh, We do pray, God, uh, for any distractions, anything that's weighing on our mind that might take our attention away from your Scriptures, that, God, you would, would remove those and that we would really Uh, get to behold you today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're entering into a new year. What is motivating you as you enter into January? What's your driving force? What are some hopes, some dreams that you have for this next year? Do you have any resolutions and goals that you're going to be striving for in 2024? So we, Covenant Church, we partner with and we meet at a YMCA. So tomorrow, or not tomorrow, on Tuesday, when I'm here at the office, I guarantee it is going to be busy. 
It's, it's the busiest time of the year, that first week, because everybody has got res- resolutions. What are they? I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to gain weight. I'm going to run in a marathon or a half marathon. I'm, and maybe it's just like simply I want to get off some of the, the prescription medicines I'm on because of my age and out of shape. Like whatever it is, there are going to be a lot of people that are driven to get in here this next week to work out. Maybe it's fiscal health. Finances. You're, this is going to be the year that you get your budget in order, that you save some money, that you pay off debt. Maybe it's mental health. You've been struggling with anxiety, worry, depression. You're really hoping that maybe you'll have some more balance this year, that you will get some rest, and it'll be a, a difference maker. And, and I will say this. Having goals and aspirations, I think, can be really good for you. They help you to focus, to prioritize how we live our lives Truth be told, aimless living often wastes the gift of life, the gift of time. Because you just kind of, life tends to suck up our time, take our, 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 our schedule, and the next thing you know, you're another year older, and you really haven't grown, you haven't matured, you haven't accomplished. So with all of that said, here's my question, though. Where does God fit into your new year? How does your relationship with the Lord dictate how you're going to live in the upcoming year. Because truth be told, above all, your heavenly Father should be your driving force for 2024. So that's going to be our focus today. That's going to be our call, our, our encouragement that we would focus on our heavenly Father in the new year. Three ways we're going to see this with our heavenly Father. First of all, you and I, we should know our Father. We should know there is a relationship element that God designs in our relationship with him. That he wants us to be a people that know him, that grow in him, that focus on him, that have an ongoing communication with him. So we're going to see how all of that plays itself out. Secondly, we should go for our father that God has commissioned God is called, even in some of the prayers today between John and Ray, both of them really kind of highlight and emphasize that fact that we are, we are God's hands and feet. We are his instruments. So we're going to see uh, that call to go for our Father. And then lastly, we should see growth through our Father, that God's intent for us is to bear fruit. God's plan and purpose for us is to work in and through us in this world. All right, so let's get started. Let's pick up at uh, verse uh, 27 as we look at the need for you and I to know our Father. So normally we go through books in the body uh, in the Bible. We do expository preaching, so I don't have to spend as much time setting up context. But it's important for us to understand, John 4, Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman. Why is that a big deal? One, because it was a woman. It was been very countercultural for what he was doing. But secondly, it was a Samaritan. And the Samaritans were, spiritually speaking, they were the half-breeds. They were partially Jew. And in and, and the Jewish culture, like you wanted to be like pure a Jew. So there was just so much there. And Jesus sits down. He, he talks to this woman. He talks to her about a lot of things. One, he challenges her about living water, that I have a drink for you, that will, you will never be thirsty again, that God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. 
He calls out her sin, if you know this chapter at all. She apparently has had five husbands, and the guy she's with right now is not her husband. So she is a very uh, promiscuous, very, she's a scarlet letter kind of woman in the culture. And yet we see in the midst of all this, God is working in her, and we start seeing Jesus highlighting his special relationship with his his father. Notice what he, he goes on. So The disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And then notice in verse 31, I want us to see the priority of his will. Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. First of all, we see the disciples, typical confusion. They went to get food. They come back. Jesus says, I've got food. They immediately think somebody snuck them food. Like, did somebody give them a granola bar? Like, where did this food come from? That's not the case. Also, you can misinterpret this that Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to fast. That we don't eat anymore. I've got special food. That's not what he's talking about. What he's highlighting, what he's stressing, is that the Father's will is supreme. The Father's will is the focus. It's the goal. It's the compass. So we're going to play a game right now, right? We're going to play paper, rock, scissors. Does everybody know this game? Everybody nod your head. All right. So you guys ready? So I got to get to practice. So I'm going to go one, two, and then boom. You got three options in case you are unaware of this game. You can be paper, you can be rock, and you can be scissors. All right? We ready? So I'll go one, two, and then three. All right. One, two. All right. Who's paper? Put your hand down. I beat you. I'm the winner. Who's rocks? You beat me. Anybody else? What other one? There's, that's it, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> what if there was like a fourth one, right? I, I don't know what it is. I've heard somebody say Chuck Norris because there's a whole online thing. He beats everything. You see, the the reality with paper, rock, scissors, there's not a clear victor. It it just really depends in the context. Like if you got the paper, you beat this, or the rock gets this, the scissors get this. You understand? What Jesus is saying, and we need to grasp this, we need to really get our minds around this when it comes to the Father's will, is the Father will conquers everything. Do you understand that? Our goals, our ambitions, our drive, every decision we make Ideally, in 2024, should revolve around what is the Father's will for my life. Think about it. Jesus is teaching them how to pray. And guess what one element of the Lord's prayer is? Matthew 6, 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what Jesus is saying is that our, our, our disposition should lean towards radical ambition out the door, self-centered no more. What can I do to accomplish the will of my Father? Think about it. Jesus, the night in which he's betrayed, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows everything that is about to happen to him. He is going to be treated as the worst of sinners. Do you understand that? He's going to go to the cross 
as the perfect lamb of God. And what does he say as he's praying to his father? My father, if it be possible, Matthew 26, 39, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see what his focus was. It was not happiness. It wasn't comfort. What was his focus? It was the Father's will. He embraces the cross. He embraces the suffering because he wants to do what God's will is for his life. That was his focus. That's what he was fixated on. So let's take a time out right here. Is the Father's will supreme in your life? Think about it. I mean, I know there's several kids here actually that are going to be graduating high school and going to be going to college next year. Are your college decisions being made with what is the best thing, not for me, what is the best way for me to accomplish the will of my Father? Is it on the radar? Think about it. How many times in this last year did you make decisions, even major decisions, where you never even once gave God a thought in the decision process. There is a radicalness to how we make decisions as Christians. And it should always go through the lens that God's will is priority. But not only is it priority, I want us to look at the preciousness of his will. Look at verse 32 with me again. He says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And then verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The food example, we need to understand, it's more than just priority. You and I, we need food, right? We, we, we need food. We could do God's will grudgingly out of duty, right? I think we sometimes do if we're really being candid with one another. We'll do what God, we know God wants us to do. We don't like it, but we do it nonetheless. But we need to understand, his will is not only supreme, it's satisfying. And I think we need to hear that. I think we need to be reminded of that. And I think you and I, we need to believe that. That doing God's will is the best possible outcome for your life. Because it is the only thing that will bring satisfaction. I don't know about you. I have gained a few pounds the last two weeks, three weeks. Let's go a month. A lot of family functions, eating out, Thanksgiving, into Christmas. And then you're like, you know, I don't want to be the awkward one eating healthy while everybody else isn't, so I embrace it. But one of the things I've noticed is the more I keep gaining weight, the more I'm not satisfied eating. Like, it's ridiculous. We eat a big dinner. It's 10 o'clock, and I'm like, fourth meal. Taco Bell or no Taco Bell. I, I, I coined that term. Yeah, and Abby comes in, and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm hungry. She's like, hungry is like a snack. Like, you're actually, like, eating a full-blown meal, and I'm like, well, it got started, and then I was like this, and, and it, I mean, there's a sense with food, it's not satisfying, no matter what. We eat, and a few hours later, I'm a little bit hungry. It's it just, it, here's the, and, and I, friends, I, I really want us to behold this and understand this. God's will fills us up in a way that food can never satisfy Doing what God ordains is satisfying to the core. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, He humbled you and let your hunger and fed you 
with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that you might make known that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God fills our hearts, our minds, our soul with his word and his will. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. There is a joy doing God's will that is unrivaled. I think the lie is, and what Satan does, is he, he teaches us in a way that as if God is withholding something good from you by doing God's will. Case in point in the garden. Did he really say that? And what he, was, what he was propagating was that your life is better if you do it your way, not God's way. And we know that is not true. When you and I do it our way and not God's way, what is the outcome? Guilt, shame, regret, and remorse. That is, that is what happens when you and I disobey. But when we obey, when we walk in step with the Spirit, when we do what God's will is for our life, have you ever been like, I'm so frustrated I obeyed God? Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, I'm so frustrated I disobeyed God? All the time. Because there's that war going on. Romans 7, 19, I do not know the good, I, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So I want to ask you, are you satisfied today? Do you believe his will is good and best for you? Does the Father know what is best? Are you buying into Satan's lies? Will you strive to obey? That's my prayer and my hope for all of us as we enter into this new year that obedience will be the objective and goal. And a belief not only in obeying, but obeying knowing that this is what is best for me. As I walk in step with the Spirit, as I obey God's word, it doesn't mean my life's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean it's going to be problem-free. But I guarantee you it will be satisfying because I'm living as God intends me to live. So that's the priority of our will as we know our Father, the preciousness of his will. Well, let's now look at going for our Father. He uses an illustration from real life to stress his focus. He clearly points out what the work is for you and I. Read verse 35 with me. First of all, we are to be at work. Verse 35. He says, do you not know there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, Lift up your eyes and see that the field, that the fields are white for harvest. So chronolog chronologically speaking, it's likely in December, four months later is harvest time. And he's saying, wait, you don't need to wait four months for seeds to grow spiritually. Harvest time is now. The fields are ripe for the harvest. One commentator wrote, it's a great possibility. As he's saying that, a group of Samaritans are coming out from town to hear him. Because she had came and told them. And, and as they're coming out, it's also a very real possibility that they were potentially wearing white. So a group of these unbelievers coming towards him wearing white. And Jesus is saying the fields are white and ripe for harvest. And what Jesus is saying here is that he has, uh, he, he has people out there that he is going to lead to Christ. That's ultimately what he is saying. Uh, our family, the boys specifically, we are a big fishing family. We love to fish. 
when they're younger, I love taking them fishing places where the, the ponds are relatively stocked. We sometimes will fish where we do our baptism service over at the Ricos, and they've got some pretty big catfish. Doesn't take tons of skill. We cut a, a piece of a hot dog, put it on a hick, on a hook. We throw it out there, and next thing you know, they catch a fish. It's a lot of fun. It's stocked. Now, when we go up to the cabin to fish for northern pike, it's a lot of fun. It's a whole lot more work. Like, there's times where I might cast for hours and not get a bite. And what Jesus is saying, though, is you and I, we, we kind of are in a world more where it's like the stocked pond instead of the fishing for the pike. Do you understand? That's what he's saying. He's called you and I what? To be fishers of what? Of men. Matthew four nineteen. follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So what he's saying here is I want you to go out and get your line in the water and trust me, you're going to catch some fish. Matthew 9, 37, he tells the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What does that mean for you and I? I think what it means is you and I are to be at work. We're to be out fishing. We should be out having meaningful relationships and conversations with the unbelievers in our world. And you're deceived and you're naive and you're delusional to think that in your sphere of influence there are not unbelievers. I know for a fact in this room today there is somebody here who's not a believer. That is just reality. There's, you have a neighbor that doesn't know Jesus. You have a family member that doesn't know Jesus. You have coworkers. Even if you're at a Christian school, it's little Christian people. Guarantee there's unbelievers in that school. And what Jesus is saying is we are to be out there fishing. Because that's his design. That, that's his, his, his purpose. It should, buy, and I do not share this to guilt you. I don't share this to shame you. But I do share this with you to hopefully compel you. It should bother you that God is not using you to lead lost people to Christ. We've grown, probably doubled in size since COVID, and I'm grateful for that. However, there is a part of me that is very unsatisfying. Why is that, Joe? Because the vast majority of growth we've experienced since COVID is transfer growth. People leaving churches, and a lot of times it's for good reasons, unhealthy churches, unbiblical churches, and they came here. And I'm grateful for that, and I'm so thankful that you're here uh, as we're trying to be this church that makes a difference. But man, it would be so much more satisfying if in 2024, whatever growth we experience, that it's people that on December 31st, 2023, did not know Jesus. And through you and I, through us fishing, through us faithfully living out the gospel, God draws people to Christ. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, go and make disciples of all nations. That is our commission. And I think what that does for you and I is it should lead to a sense of urgency. We don't wait. With crops, you can't wait because if you don't actually harvest the crops, what happens to them? They spoil or uh, animals and everything get to it. So time is of the essence. Well, are you currently at work for the Father? Are you fishing? Let's be honest. When's the last time you put your pole in the, your line in the water? 
I mean, I, I think we'd, a lot of us would probably be very ashamed if we went up and everybody took a turn and you were honest. Oh, a couple years ago, like, that's not God's intent. What's your goal? I, I would challenge you, even right now, right now, 2024, one person in your life that you know is not a believer that you are going to pursue, you're going to pray for, and you are going to have meaningful conversations. Now, you might not see them come to know Christ, but who is that person going to be? I want you to think about that. And I'm going to follow up over the course of the year asking you about that person. So not only are we to be at work, we're to be at where? Read verse 36 with me. He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one reaps and another sows. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So it's not just a job. It's not just a calling that you and I have and to get to work. And I, I hope you are hearing that. There is an emphasis of the privileged to be part of the work. Do you hear that? When he speaks of some are reaping and some are, are sowing. If you know what the Copernican revolution is in astronomy, for the longest time, people believed what was at the center of the universe? The earth. And it came to the realization that the earth is not at the center of the universe. No, the, the sun is. Uh, Nicholas uh, Copernicus, he's the one that came up with that. And I think what often needs to happen for you and I is we need to have that Copernican revolution in our life. Because what often is the case is that we think we are at the center of the universe. And when we start talking about this calling to fish, this calling to be uh, disciple makers, I think you and I can get distracted and think too much of it rests on ourselves. And that's not what he's saying. A person's salvation is not resting and falling on you alone. Understand that, please. So I'm compelling you, get out there and start fishing, but don't think that you somehow a person's going to be in hell just because you did not do a good job sharing your faith. Because at the end of the day, who is the one doing the work? It's God. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So I want you to understand that you are important, all right? You're image bearers of God. Uh, we, we sang it today. Uh, we are graven on his hands. Uh, he, he, he loves us. He, he cares for us. Also, though, you aren't that important comparatively. You understand? Like, anytime I, my head starts getting too big, I'm grateful that I have friends and fellow leaders and family members that kind of put me into perspective. Because I'm not that needed up here. God could easily put me, put Andy, put anybody, it, it, somebody who can faithfully preach the Bible. I'm not that important. Yet he chooses to use us. And that should encourage us. That should humble us. That we get to be his instruments. 
Also, I think because of that, if we really realize that it's a God thing working in and through us, praise the Lord, what a privilege, what an amazing opportunity it is for you and I to be ministering the gospel to people. It should also mean this is not a competition. What breaks my heart on a local level is the competitive nature of churches. Like we're two companies selling a product and we want to have more success than our neighbor or rival. Remember Paul, he says, if somebody preaches the gospel out of false ambition, but the gospel is being preached, praise the Lord. So if the church down the street grows double our size and we end up losing people, if that's God's will, praise the Lord. You understand, it's not a competition. Because all of this is ultimately tied to our relationship with God. Romans 10, 15, it says, How are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So to be used by God, broken, sinful vessels, it should, it should inspire us. It should encourage us. Even when we were singing a little bit earlier, I was in the back corner and I was looking out at the congregation and I mean, it just amazes me 18 years later that this many people are here to worship, to, and he used people like me and Kaza and the other leaders. Like, it's humbling. It's humbling. Well, is God lucky to have you? Are you aware of how privileged you are to be his instrument? Are you excited by God's kingdom advancing regardless? Are you looking forward to that? Are you anticipating that in this year? Man, this is going to be a year I want to see Jesus glorified. I want to see his kingdom grow. All right, so know our father, priorities, preciousness of his will. Go for our father. We should be at work, but also be aware. Lastly, I want us to see growth through our fathers, through our father. We'll see the impact of the gospel in the lives of people. First of all, he uses our testimonies. Understand this. He uses our testimonies, which means you and I have to testify. Verse 39, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Remember, this is a scarlet letter woman. Five husbands, current person, not her husband. And she would normally would have avoided people. Part of the reason she was at the well at the time she was because nobody was there. Because she was kind of staying away from people. And she goes from that, the scandalous woman, to going into town to talk to every person that she could come across to testify about Jesus. And there is power in testimony, right? We see it elsewhere in the gospel where people are healed and miraculous. Somebody's blind and all of a sudden once they can see or they were demon possessed and now they go into town and people can see the, the visible difference. Endorsements matter. Look at the advertising world, right? I mean, for the longest time I drank Gatorade. Why? Because sometimes I dream that he is me if I can be like Mike. I, I convinced that I would be a better basketball player if I drank Gatorade because that was the drink of choice for Michael Jordan. I have a bet at home now, and it was on sale, mind you, that I got because Tom Brady, it was his bet. Not literally his bet, that would be creepy. But no, he, like he was in the advertisement, and like we're looking through, and I looked at Abby, and I'm like, if it's good enough for Tom Brady, it's good enough for me. Endorsements matter. 
God uses our personal experiences to lead people to Jesus. And that's what we do because of what he's done. We tell other people about what he's done. Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the natural overflow of saving faith is men and women and children who testify about what Jesus has done in their lives. That's just natural. It's not, it's not for pastors. It's not for elders and deacons. It is for Christians. If God is transformed, if God has changed your life, you and I should be testifying about it to other people. We should not be Simon Peter that we're in the room and somebody says, hey, you're one of his disciples. And he says, I don't know him. Because friends, here's the deal. Your silence in this world about Jesus is the equivalent of Peter saying, I don't know him. Think about that. I, I, it amazed me. I remember when I lived in my old house, about a year into my old house, talking to my neighbor the one day, and he said, hey, I heard you dabble as a preacher. First of all, I got immediately defensive. I'm like, I'm doing more than dabbling, buddy. <laughs> but then the fact that it was a year of me living by my neighbor, and he had just found out I was in ministry, it like, it broke my heart. Like, I was ashamed. I was like, I've lived by this guy for over 365 days. I can literally hit his house with any kind of sporting equipment. It was that close. And he didn't even know that I was a believer. And that shouldn't be the case. We testify. I love the lyrics of this one song. This is my testimony from death to life because grace rewrote my story. I will testify. By Jesus Christ the righteous, I am justified. This is my testimony. Remember the disciples, Acts 4.19. They're told, you need to stop talking about this Jesus. And he says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you be the judge, but we cannot speak but speak of what we have seen and heard. Translation, there is no such thing as a closet Christian, a secret Christian. Was the Samaritan woman louder than you? You testify to others, your neighbors, friends, coworkers, family members. What stops you? What are you afraid of? Once again, who are you going to target to testify? And friends, it, you understand, part of our testimony, I, I think... It, Part of our problem and our concern is we have this belief to testify, testify needs to be like a 30-minute, full-blown gospel presentation with charts and Bible verses and everything, and I don't feel equipped to do that, therefore I don't testify. Friends, when you're at Costco today and you're in line with the person, you can testify about what Jesus has done. When they, hey, how are you doing today? Great, I just went and worshiped with God's people today, and it was awesome. I mean, it doesn't have to be what we make it out to be. You're pointing people to Jesus. That's, that's what testifying looks like. But not only does he use our testimonies, lastly, he uses his truth. Go to verse 42. Verse, end of verse 41, it says, Many more believed because of his word than they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. 
he uses his truth. Testimony ultimately should point us back to what? To the word, to truth. Think of product shopping. We love a good testimony, but when you actually sample the product, is it different? Is that what really matters? If you're buying a car and somebody tells you it's the most amazing car and it's awesome and everything, that's great. But what do you always want to do with a car if you're buying a car? You want to do a what? Test drive. Why? Because you want to experience it. You want to say, wow, the brakes don't sound right. It doesn't, it, all these, the engine, there's something clicking. Like you want to test drive it. There is a sense spiritually that yes, testimonies are amazing. Praise the Lord. But at the end of the day, what people need to do is they need to experience the truth. You need to give them the truth. His word must take center stage. Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What did Paul focus on? The truth. The simple truth of Jesus, that he is the savior of the world. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word is what changes lives. That's why we preach the Bible. We don't preach the Bible because it's a fad, because there's nothing else we could do. No, we go through the Bible because one of my main responsibilities as a pastor, one of Andy's main responsibilities as a pastor is to make you all biblically literate. That you know the word, that you understand the word, that you can communicate the word. Even now as we're going into 2024, I would, I would, com I would strongly encourage you what is your plan to study the Bible this year? Probably should be one of the most important things you decide every year. Are you going to do the Bible in a year? Are you going to study books periodically throughout the year and then move on to the next one? Whatever it is, you need the Word. Because if God uses the Word to lead people to Christ and you're His instruments, what do you think you should probably know a little bit about? The Word, so you can point people to the Word. We want people's faith to be built on a foundation, not on opinions, not on people. He wants to be built on the word. Children, my hope and prayer for you is that your faith is built on Jesus, not your parents. I think it's great that your parents are putting you in a position are putting you in a situation where you're hearing the word. Uh, we have children's church going on where they're faithfully preaching the gospel there. But at the end of the day, I want our kids to know Jesus, not believe in Jesus because mom and dad told me to. So that's what we need to be fostering among us. Well, do you know the word? What's your plan? Are you pointing others to it? Can you testify to how God's word has transformed your life? What was your best gift this Christmas? Anybody? Anybody get a good gift this year? Give me somebody. Somebody wants to brag. Come on. 
What? A what? A pressure canner. Oh, the can stuff. All right. Wow. <laughs> Sounds amazing. I'm a little jealous. I'm a little jealous. I actually, it was funny. My daughter was online and, and like one of her friends was on. Uh, I guess younger people. I mean, even saying younger people, I'm getting old. I am old, so like I might as well embrace it. Uh, they were chronicling their, their haul, their Christmas haul, where the person's going through and showing all that they got for, for Christmas. But one of the things that does, besides, it, it, I don't know, it's really boring watching this person celebrating what they got. Uh, it, it does, I think, highlight that somebody took the time, somebody took the energy to display love and devotion through that gift, right? So Lauren, besides the amazing gift that she got, I think she's feeling loved by the family members that got her that gift because they know mom and they knew what she wanted, understood. Like, so, so gifts, it's not just the receiving of the gift, it's the giving of the gift shows how much we love and how much somebody matters for us. As we enter into 2024, I want us to ask a question. What gift can I give God this next year? What tangible way can I display to the Lord that I love him, that I care for him, and I want to be used by him? Now, understand this. He... He's not needy in the sense of like he's, his, his, his self-esteem is built up on what, whether you give him a gift or not this next year. But I want us to understand what God wants from you, what God wants from me this year is what? Our obedience, our, our faithfulness, our centering our life after him in 2024, that his will would be our food. That when we enter into decisions, we think, how is this going to profit God in his kingdom? That's what he wants from us this year. Three application points and then we'll be done. One, I think you and I, we need to reprioritize our lives even when God's will is radically different than our desire. Do you hear that? Even when it's radically different than our desire. We love God's will when it's our way, Right? When God's will includes success, surplus, and victory, praise Jesus. When it includes trials, tribulations, suffering, adversity, and hardship, we're like, can we return this? Can I try something different? God, I think you made a mistake. Can we do it differently? So we need to reprioritize our life. Secondly, we need to recognize our limits. We're just instruments we're very replaceable. So there should be a humility as we go out into this world. Like, thank you. I, I love in Isaiah where he says, here I am, send me. And when I heard Alistair Begg preach on that, the way he said it, he's like, I really feel like Isaiah didn't say it. Like, here I am. It was more of a humble, like, here I am. Like, send me, please. Like, I don't know if I'm even... A, fit to do this, but like, I'm willing. Recognize your limits, and lastly, reach out to the lost, 
testify what God has done and point them to his word? I mean, let's be, let's be real. Look at the news. Watch online. Dumpster fire, right? Dumpster fire. I mean, our world is, is, is falling apart before our very eyes. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous on so many fronts. I could go and stand on a soapbox forever today, and I'd get amens probably, maybe even some claps. You know what the answer to all of that is? Revival and awakening. That should be our prayer. That should be our goal. And that starts with you and I reaching out to the lost. Let's pray. Jesus, we we come before you. Uh, We just pray. We pray, God, first that you and I would help us, that you would help us to prioritize our lives that you would help us to make a focused effort on you. Uh, Forgive us for how often we are man-centered, how we're self-absorbed. Lord, help this year to be different. We pray also that you would keep us humble, that you would remind us that it's an amazing privilege and opportunity to be used by you, but it's about you, it's not about us. And, And lastly, Lord, we pray that you would enable us to be people who testify and point other people to Jesus. And and we pray, God, that in this next year, whatever growth in your sovereign will you decide to give covenant, that the vast majority of that growth would be through unbelievers coming to know Jesus, that we would experience awakening and revival in our midst. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand as we respond through song?